As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, a Sunday of derby delight as the men edge past West Ham and the women see off Spurs. Tony Rudiger has confirmed he won't be a Chelsea player next season and the Blues go to Old Trafford this week. All that and more covered in today's show. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Welcome along then, listener. It's the first of our double dose of Cobham this week. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Alongside me today are the Athletics Chelsea expert, Liam Toomey. That rarest of creatures, a home win. Hello. Mm. Felt strange, didn't it? Uh, Dominic Fifield's also back with us. How are you doing, Dom? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? All right, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite bad hay fever, but I won't bore the listeners with that. Instead, let's get straight to Chelsea versus West Ham. Alonso. So a win of the narrow variety for the Blues on Sunday. Christian Pulisic dug Jorginho out of a hole by scoring a last gasp winner against West Ham at the bridge. That after Jorginho had missed a penalty and Craig Dawson had been sent off. Uh, Liam and I were both at the bridge, but he's the only one of us fastidious enough to send a voice note. Let's hear that now. So they've just finished a rendition of Blue is the Colour as the Chelsea players now go over towards the Matthew Harding stand. Just serenading them. They're currently chanting for Thiago Silva, but I think quite a few of the players will get a mention. It didn't look like it was going to end this way for Chelsea for long spells of today's game, particularly when Jorginho missed that penalty a few minutes before the final whistle. It was a particularly abysmal miss. Jorginho's style means it's always going to look that way when it goes wrong. And it really felt like all the belief went out of this stadium um, when that happened. You know, Chelsea weren't exactly looking like deserving winners anyway. But they kept pushing, to their credit. The substitutes made a big impact. Ziyech, Pulisic, Lukaku, of course, who won the penalty, put West Ham 
more on the back foot. And eventually, a great pick out from Marcus Alonso from the left, perhaps into the space that Craig Dawson might have been. He blocked everything today, it seemed. And Christian Pulisic was there to finish it off. A, a big goal, personally, for him, given that he's been struggling for minutes again recently after his disappointing cameo against Real Madrid. But Chelsea overall just really, really needed this win. It consolidates third, but even more than that, it just lifts the... It lifts the gloom they've been building over Stamford Bridge for several weeks now. Um, in the first half, they were so lethargic as a team, so slow, so predictable. It seemed to have even infected Tuchel, who only got out of his seat once in that first half. I've never known him to be less demonstrative in his, in his dugout. He, he was certainly more involved in the second, sort of complaining to the fourth official about West Ham time wasting and, and decisions. Um, but Chelsea took a long time to get going in this and a makeshift West Ham team frustrated them for long spells, chiefly Dawson, who seemed to be in front of everything. And it actually looked like West Ham were in danger of, of nicking this game, what would have been a, a fourth consecutive home loss for Chelsea since 1978. But that wasn't the script in the end. Um, Chelsea turned it around. They still very much look like they're stumbling towards the finish line of this Premier League season and they are going to have to play an awful lot better if they want to win the FA Cup against Liverpool next month. But for now, it's enough. And they look like they're, they're one big step closer to playing Champions League football next season. Uh, Dom, as Liam says, they're another pretty average performance, but a win and a clean sheet. And if I can dig into my big book of cliches here, I, I can see that getting the job done is something which is quite important at this stage of the season. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Um, stodgy performance, but uh, an encouraging result for, for Chelsea. Um, just provides a bit more reassurance, a bit more stability, I guess, in, in terms of the, the running. There was a bit of anxiety cropping up over Arsenal's recent revival, uh, given what they, they'd done to Manchester United at lunchtime on Saturday. So I suppose putting a bit of distance between Chelsea and fourth place was significant, but I still don't think, I mean, I still don't think there'll be that much satisfaction in terms of the performance, weirdly. I mean, you look at the facts, sorry, the, the, the data of the, on the game, and you think it's a, it was an absolute doddle, 26 shots from Chelsea, six from West Ham, dominant in terms of possession, etc. But it, it didn't feel like that type of performance at all. And the second half was a lot better than the first. Uh, but I, I, that first half sort of ambling nature of it all is probably reflective of where Chelsea are at the moment. Their, their entire season, what's left of it, is really going to be boiling down to the, what happens at Wembley in the FA Cup final and, and maintaining, a, maintaining standards and maintaining a level of interest and urgency in, in the fixtures up to then is going to be actually quite a difficult task, I think, for Thomas Tuchel. It was a ponderous performance, wasn't it, Liam? And as you mentioned in your voice note there, even Thomas Tuchel seemed a little unenthused by the whole thing, which is incredibly rare for him. What do you put that down to? It was really weird. And, I, you know, originally I was planning to ask Tuchel about it in his post-match press conference. And, of course, what he said to TV about Rudiger um, kind of superseded all of that and the press conference very much became 
just a load of follow-up questions about Rudiger rather than Tuchel's demeanour. But I, you know, it was very concerning. I thought, particularly in the first half, you know, Tuchel is probably the most demonstrative touchline coach that Chelsea have had since Conte. He's always up and about, shouting instructions, trying to micromanage things. It's the kind of coach you you really don't want to be the the wing back or the wide forward on his side because <laughs> you get a constant commentary. And he can also, you know, seem a little bit of a petulant figure at times as well, you know, complaining to the fourth official or the referee about decisions, occasionally complaining to his own players about wrong decisions on the pitch. Um, and he was a bit more like that in the second half, to be fair, uh, just as Chelsea were a little bit more like their normal selves in the second half and the crowd began to to get going as well. But it just, it all felt very pre-season-y, very jaded, um, it felt like everyone in the stadium, other than the West Ham fans who were just having a good time because they were singing about the, the Europa League semi-final they're, they're looking forward to. It just felt like everyone else wanted the season to be over, Tuchel included. Um, it was just this real sense of fatigue. And uh, he didn't, as I said, we didn't get a chance to talk to him too much about that after the game. But I wonder what would have happened if Pulisic hadn't got that late goal because it... It really felt like, even though it doesn't do much to the table, it just consolidates third. It felt like a big moment in Chelsea's season because when Jorginho missed that penalty and the way that he did, it, it felt like all the air got sucked out of the stadium and, and just everyone was just um, really demoralised. And, and the fact that Chelsea kept going and actually got the winner could lift everyone. And um, I mean, they need to find some reserves of energy from somewhere when you're looking ahead to that FA Cup final, less so for these Premier League games coming. But they they can't keep playing like this if they want to actually end the season with a trophy. But they, they did just enough this time in the second half to get it done. Would be worrying, Dom, I think, seeing a head coach as disinterested as Tuchel appeared at times. But we ought to offer the mitigation, haven't we? What's this, 56th game of the season? You know, you throw in things like expiring contracts, strikers giving interviews they ought not to, and sanctions. And, and you can see why he's he's a little bit fatigued by it all. Yeah, yeah, I can. Absolutely, I can. You can have a level of sympathy, but but Liam's right. He has to, he has to find a way of... In, of engaging the players and, and whipping them up still. He has he has to do that. He has to reach inside himself to to make sure that, that he transmits some level of urgency, whether that be in pretty much team talks, whether that be on the touchline, because the players are now used to how he behaves. So if he's not like that, then they will feel something's off as well. Um, and he did in the second half. I think you can throw in the sort of the, the, the crowd issue as well. And, and in empty seats, just have a draining effect on occasions that's just what they suck the life out of them and we, we we experienced that through lockdown we were all lucky enough to get into stadia which were empty apart from media and and club personnel and it's i mean obviously we're not talking quite that bad a scenario but it's it's still not a great look when you see swathes of empty seats but but yeah I, look tuchel will know that he has to he has to raise spirits you can't just switch this on and off you know you can't sort of meander through these Premier League fixtures and then arrive at Wembley and expect to beat Liverpool because Liverpool have had high intensity games every single match up to that match whether that be Champions League semi-finals or Premier League title chasing um, critical fixtures 
So Chelsea are going to have to get some kind of level of momentum going to take it back to Wembley. They they can't just turn it on on the day. Um, but I, I you know there's, there's no reason to suppose that Tuchel isn't going to be able to do that. And they they did win that that game in the end, albeit against pretty much a second string West Ham had been reduced to ten men by the end. But you know they got the win in the end, as you said, ground it out. I just wanted to add on the crowd. I'm certainly not criticising the Stamford Bridge fans because they pay their money, they can act however they want. They they can watch the game and enjoy the game however they want. But in my experience being at Stamford Bridge, it tends to be a bit more of a reactive crowd in that they they wait for the... They kind of need the, the team to make the first move in terms of getting them going. And as soon as the team do something to give them encouragement, then the noise kicks up. And that that happened in the second half. You know, I think that, that Chelsea started to put a little bit of pressure on. I think in particular around the, the chance when Mason Mount had the volley that Craig Dawson blocked and um, Timo Werner missed the chance. There was a bit of a groan, obviously, when Werner missed, but the fact that Chelsea were pushing and piling on the pressure really kicked up the crowd. And it, and it felt in those sort of 10, 15 minutes that Chelsea went up a level on the pitch because of the energy generated. But sometimes it just takes a little bit from the team to get the crowd going. And I know it is Chelsea aren't alone in that. You know, there are quite a lot of big clubs where the home crowd operates that way, particularly in games when they are favoured to win. But sometimes maybe the, the players need a bit of a push as well. So it's kind of a, it's a weird dynamic that exists, exists between players and crowds that we'll never be able to measure. But it felt like in the first half, they were each waiting for each other to provide a bit of a spark and, and it was it was very, very jaded all around. Uh, you've almost echoed what Thomas Tuchel said afterward there, Liam, on the crowd. In the end, it was absolutely what we need. I can understand. I agree that the spark has to be from the team in general, but sometimes we need it to be the other way around. Uh, before we move on from this game, Liam, uh, Rhys James didn't play. Thomas Tuchel said he had a bit of a weird feeling, not feeling fully confident about his hamstring, so he didn't take the risk of re-injury. Uh, and Andreas Christensen pulled up lame in the warm-up, which was to Trevor Chalaber's benefit. Any news on, on Christensen and when he might return? I mean, it, it it must, whatever it was with Christensen, you know, there were suggestions that it might have been stomach cramps, but we never got official confirmation of that. Um, it must have happened really early because I went out into the press box just after Chelsea had begun their warm-up and, and Chalaba was already out there with the starters and, and Christensen was nowhere to be seen. Um, but there, there there seems to be a few other issues. You know, you mentioned James in this Chelsea squad at the moment. Tuchel spoke about Rudiger afterwards. Things that aren't quite injuries, but muscle problems, muscle discomfort, that players feel like might become injuries if they push too hard. And I think that's it's something you often get at this stage of a season, particularly a season that's been this long and this intense um, for Chelsea. But it's something they really have to be careful managing because the, prior the overwhelming priority now, Chelsea are going to finish third, most likely. They would have to take one hell of a collapse from here for them not to finish third. Um, they need to make sure James... Kovacic, Rudiger, these other key guys are fit for Liverpool and, and Wembley. That's the only thing that matters. So if it means if it means being ultra cautious and sitting them out of an extra game or two, um, then that's what they have to do. But there was no doubt, particularly in the first half, again, Chelsea really missed James' um, impetus on that right flank. And, 
And yeah, I mean, and I know Tuchel's been playing him on the back three a little bit more. Maybe this hamstring thing was a part of that as well, as we've said before in the podcast, to try and protect him physically. But every time he's not flying up and down the right side of the pitch, Chelsea really feel it. Uh, somebody else he wasn't involved on Sunday was Antonio Rudiger. We'll discuss his future next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Well, uh, Tony, I mean, the, 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 the media is, is, is on it and uh, the, the situation seems to be that he leaves the club. He informed me some days ago in, in a personal talk. And um, yeah, I have the feeling that we gave everything over over many months, me personally and, and also the club, we gave everything. Now we enter in a situation where we could not fight anymore because of the sanctions. And um, yeah, Tony said he will leave the club in summer. So there's Thomas Tuchel confirming the story that Simon broke on Saturday. Antonio Rudiger won't be staying at Chelsea next season. He's a free agent at the end of the campaign and has rejected the club's last and final offer. Uh, Liam, you've written about this today for The Athletic. Uh, I don't think any of us are particularly surprised, but Chelsea supporters will be disappointed nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, it, anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a long time knows that, you know, with Simon's been leading our reporting on this, but, you know, from my perspective on the situation, it's always been going this way. Um, there was a moment in February where there was a bit more optimism that a, a, an agreement might be found, but the market forces were always pushing Rudiger towards what will be a very lucrative free agency for him. And this unique opportunity to command a huge contract, you know, he's, he's hitting, he's hitting free agency at 29 at the peak of his value and at the peak of his powers as a defender. He's been one of the best defenders in Europe under Tuchel for the last 18 months. And so I completely understand why, at the very least, he wanted to look at his options. But then you add on top of that everything that's happened with Chelsea and Abramovich and the ownership situation. The fact that that Chelsea, well, that Marina Granovskaya kind of drew this out, as she often does with contract negotiations, always, always left the risk of something absolutely left field happening. And then the Abramovich situation completely removed Chelsea's ability to to actually make an 11th hour offer. And here we are. It, it It is going to be a big blow to the team because Rudiger's been brilliant and he's a massive leader. And more than that, him and Tuchel have a really productive bond. Um, and, and he's one of Tuchel's most trusted lieutenants in this, in this team. So he's going to take some replacing. It's not going to be cheap. And 
it's not going to be easy to replace the personality as much as the player. But at the same time, I think there there were also risks in giving Rudiger the kind of money that he's asking for into his thirties. Um, you know, that the, the, there are there are risks in in all aspects. But I I think, you know, and I mentioned this in my piece that if the new owners had come in. They would have been under immense pressure immediately, internally and externally, from a PR point of view, to make Rudiger an offer to convince him to stay. And I think if Rudiger and his his camp had been prepared to wait, I think they should have had a high degree of confidence that that was going to happen. Um, because any new owners with so little time before the summer transfer window would favour trying to, you know, go with continuity. Because you don't have time to make sweeping changes, but he he's decided to make this decision now. It is his right. I asked Tuchel after the game if he had any concerns about Rudiger's focus between now and the end of the season. He, as you might expect, insisted no that he you know Rudiger's going to give everything. I'm sure he'll want to bow out with a trophy in the FA Cup final, and he wants to be back for Manchester United. At the same time, he's trying to pick a new club this week, so it's <laughs> it's going to be a busy one for him. But it's now an even more challenging summer for Chelsea and for these new owners because one of their first priorities has to be trying to replace this guy. Fabrizio Romano uh, reporting on Monday that he's reached a verbal agreement with Real Madrid. Rudiger, that is. We'll wait and see uh, on that. Don, for all the praise that we've given Marina Granovskaya, this is a, a big error on their part, isn't it? They've let not just Rudiger's contract, but also Azpilicueta and Christensen's run down and they sold Fikayo Tomori and Mark Gerhi last summer. It leaves them very short and they, the, whoever the new owners are, getting some central defenders in is going to be one of their top priorities. And throw Kurt Zuma into that as well, I guess. I mean, that's what, £80 million worth of talent they've raised with the sale of three centre-halves and three young centre-halves, two of whom definitely have got very, very um, big potential. Um, one of whom has been tearing it up in the Premier League all season, done really, really well. Um, and in the meantime, to be losing Christensen and... Uh, and Rudiger on free transfers, and also to be to be going into next season with knowing Thiago Silva will turn thirty eight over the course of next season seems fairly staggering. I mean, you've got the uncertainty around Cesar Azpilicueta as well. I know he's got the extra year that's kicked in, but there's still got to be a chance that he leaves the club um, too. It does seem a bit, yeah. It does, it seems ill ill planned that one that that's that's a bargaining technique that's that's backfired and and yeah okay they didn't know that the, the sanctions were going to kick in and that's a fairly extraordinary circumstance that's limited their ability to negotiate over the last uh four weeks or whatever it's been four or five weeks it feels like more but a bit more forward planning might have been um advisable just not not necessarily in keeping Rudiger, but maybe making sure that not all of them walk out. I, I, I've shared sort of Liam's slight concern on uh, he, this, Rudiger is twenty nine years old, and and you, you're offering him huge, huge money on potentially a three year contract, well into his thirties. You know, it's it, there is an element of risk involved in that. Um, so I, his his departure, I think you can. It, it is that is what it is, really. I mean, I, 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 they should be able to to replace one key centre half. Whether you can you can completely reshape your whole back line, that's 
that carries its own element of risk as well. But that's clearly what they're going to have to do now. And it's a strange one because a new owner is going to come in pledging lots of money, um, presumably, to, to, to rebuild a team. And I'd imagine that most new owners' instinct would be to get a nice, snazzy, forward-thinking attacker in the door. Lots of glamour. Lots of gold. It's going to be great. Um, actually, they're going to have to bring in three centre-halves, which is a bit more dour. Uh, but, you know, such is, such is their need. That Such is the priority. They're going to have to do that when they come in over the next month or so. With the Rudiger contract thing, I mean, we've heard Simon say on this podcast before that the impression he's been given is that Marina doesn't value uh, defensive players as highly as attacking players in some of these contract talks and that that has fed into what we've seen happen over the last year or so. The other aspect of that is that there's a there's a knock-on effect, isn't there, where if you sign Romelu Lukaku for almost £100 million and you make him pretty much your top earner, that straightaway complicates the negotiations with Rudiger because it raises the amount that he's expecting given how comparatively valuable he is in the squad. But when you have these quite a few attacking players who are not playing to their potential on absolutely top money, and at the very top of the pay scale, you've got two what now appear to be total albatrosses of contracts in Lukaku and Kepa, I think it limits your ability as a club to to go that extra mile to keep a player like Rudiger because you've, your your wage cap is already stressed with bad money, essentially. Um, so it limits your ability to pay the players that, that that have actually been fundamental to your success. And, you know, I think we saw that with Arsenal as well. You know, they had to make bad decisions after committing to the Ozil and then the Aubameyang deals. That nothing exists in isolation and wage management is more important than I think a lot of, a lot of fans might realise. I'm going to contradict myself completely here just to, just to end my little chat on this. I mean, on the one hand, you'd like to think that Chelsea would be able to replace a 29-year-old centre-back. But I think Sunday was an indication of the all-round package that Antonio Rudiger brings to a game. We talked about the sort of the rather quiet nature of the crowd for the first hour of that game. That might have been in live and had Antonio Rudiger picked the ball up on the edge of his own box and done one of those runs and had a shot from 30 yards that flew into the Matthew Harding and woke up a couple of supporters with it when smacked them in the head. I mean, it's it's he he transmits a lot of charisma. He's one of those players in the in the team that that is charismatic. Who who is visibly a leader. He's a he's a shouter. He's a baller. He's, he's somebody who's who is he he might look unpredictable, but but he's He's sort of he's hypnotic. You have to watch him. You have to see what he's doing because he's, there's always something happening around Antonio Rudiger. And, and in the team that I mean, you look up and down that team. And obviously, Thiago Silva's got a massive, massive presence to him. Um, but there are not that many others in that Chelsea team. You look at who are sort of magnetic forces of nature, and Antonio Rudiger is definitely one of them. So you you are taking out a, a, a big part of the team um, when you when you lose him. A lot of the other guys, I mean, they're, they're very, very good footballers, don't get me wrong, but they're, 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 they're almost letting their, 
<laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but they're always saying that their technique do their talking on the pitch. Whereas Antony really does everything. He's sort of he's got the technique, but he's also got this ability just to to raise everybody around him. And if if they if they they're reluctant to to join him on his level, then he bloody well pick them up and bring them up with him. I mean that that's the type of player he is. And I think you take that out of that Chelsea team, then you are taking an awful lot of the charisma away from it as well. Just one final thing on Rudiger. Final day of the season, Chelsea against Watford. Chelsea are very unlikely to have anything at stake in that game. It will be Rudiger's final appearance at Stamford Bridge. Can you imagine how many long shots, (laughs) how many surging runs down the left-hand side of the pitch out of the back three there are going to be? That that game is going to be a one-man show. It's it, it's a scandal that you know. Hopefully, the the takeover is completed by then because as many people as possible need to buy tickets for that. It's going to be total box office. Starting up front, uh, we'll wait and see whether he's involved at Old Trafford on Thursday. That's what we're going to look ahead to after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, there was a time when Manchester United versus Chelsea in late April would have been a title decider, not this year. Not even a crucial game for United's hopes of finishing in the top four. They seem to have torpedoed their own chances uh, in that regard. Dom, who faces a bigger rebuild this summer? Chelsea under new owners or Man United under Eric Ten Hag? Oh, Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag. Chelsea are the third best team in the country. They're well well clear of the rest, really. Um United are a. <sighs> what are United? That's 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 half the problem. United are a team that have had a billion pounds spent on them, and and they're just a collection of individuals who individuals who can turn it on when they want to on occasion, but but they're not doing it enough to to establish them as contenders. Um, <laughs> Some of their performances of the over the last few weeks have been absolutely horrific. Hilarious. Well, yeah, yeah, hilarious if you, yeah, if you're that way inclined. But I mean, just, just, just awful, just anemic. And actually, there were times at Arsenal on Saturday when they, they looked okay going forward. They, they, they didn't. They had something about them. Jaden Sancho looked a bit more with it. Cristiano Ronaldo. Scored a very nice goal actually, and 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 uh, you know he's he's scored over twenty goals a season. He's he's done a decent enough job coming back to English football. Um, but Alenga also looks looks decent going forward. He's very 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 quick. Um, but but 
as a unit, as a collection, there's no well there's no unity they're not united at all they're, they're just sort of they're just a, a mess and and that was a saturday was a chance for them to sort of for, for a lot of those players to stand up and say well we've got a new manager and we are going to impress the new manager we're gonna he, he's, he will be watching this um from from amsterdam and um to be honest maybe two or three did okay and and look good going forward as i say but the rest of them dearie me just dearie me um, I don't. I don't want to sort of sit here and say, "Oh, Chelsea will wipe the floor with them," because I always make that mistake, and then Chelsea go and throw one in. But it's going to be a very strange atmosphere for a Manchester United Chelsea fixture. This, where Chelsea, if they if they if they play like they did in the first half against West Ham, you know that, that's pretty much comatose. And and then Manchester United. <laughs> well, I mean, there'll probably be more action off the pitch where people protesting against the Glazers, and they will be on it. Yeah, it might be quite a drab affair. Um, Liam, five, ten years ago, all the rage was to do combined 11s ahead of these type of games. I got my finger right on the pulse, so I was I was looking at doing <laughs> one yesterday. I thought maybe, well, I'd definitely have De Gea, possibly Sancho. I mean, other than that, is there anybody else from United that you'd put in the Chelsea yeah, team? You're having De Gea ahead of Mendy? Oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Not even close for me. Spain and Kepper ahead of De Gea for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd, I mean, Chelsea would have had Sancho when he was at Dortmund um, before he went to United. And I do think he's he's probably been one of United's brighter sparks, even though he had a difficult start to the season. He's shown more than enough to suggest, you know, he's a pillar to build around um, for their attack. It's a funny one because United have a hell of a lot of talent in that squad. They've got a lot of individual talent. It just all looks so bad in this context <laughs> because it's a mess and culturally it's a mess. Um, one of my favourite moments this week was um, <laughs> was Paul Scholes proving his questionable journalism credentials when he when he when he said on on live TV as a pundit, uh, I've just been speaking to Jesse Lingard and I'm sure he won't mind me sharing. Um, the, the dressing room's a disaster. I, I, th- I think he might mind you sharing, Paul. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was very, very funny. Um, no concept of off the record for Paul Scholes. But no, I'd, it, it, yeah, I think it's hard to evaluate a lot of these United players individually because the collective context is so bad. And we've seen it at times at Chelsea before when it gets toxic with a coach, when we're in the end game before a coaching change, players look so much worse than they actually are and they play below themselves individually and, the, and certainly below themselves collectively. And it can all change like that if you get someone in who makes them believe again and gives them a plan that actually makes sense. And a few people in a row have now given that a go at United with very different plans and it hasn't worked. But So it's not going to be easy for Ten Hag. Um, having said that, you know, they might well beat Chelsea on Thursday <laughs> because that's the way this end of season is going for Chelsea. They're, they're, they're capable of... They, they should win this game, but they're very much capable of losing to anyone. Uh, Dom, who's more likely to sign Declan Rice, Man United or Chelsea? <laughs> well, I suspect West Ham hold on to him for another 12 months. 
we don't know what's happening with Chelsea, whether Chelsea are going to have £100 million to spend anymore. That's probably not going to happen anymore. I think we'd have to get... Well, probably not going to happen. Manchester United... Manchester United really need him. Um, But quite frankly, I hope West Ham keep him. I'd much rather have a more competitive nature at the top of the top of the Premier League rather than than you know big clubs. Um, imagine Declan Rice going to this United team. Obviously, we don't know what Ten Hag is going to going to do, but and or indeed whether there's going to be proper restructuring at that club over the summer, which would actually give them a proper chance to build something proper. You know, really, really impressive. Um, but Declan, if Declan Rice had been put, for example, if, if United signed Declan Rice last summer and plonked him in this team now, he'd be a mess like the rest of them. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't be standing, he wouldn't be able to. I find it absolutely astonishing that Nemanja Matic and Juan Mata are still at Manchester United. They still featured on Saturday. These are figures from Chelsea's past, from this is like different eras. Like, I mean, how many managers ago were them? Were they? I mean, it's absolutely bizarre. It's just the, the whole, oh, the, the bloated nature of. Of that of that squad and the amount of money that's been spent over it and the and the lack of forward thinking and proper planning and and clever recruitment is staggering really um really is Dom sorry I'm angry been, aren't I <laughs> they've been around they've been around for so long that they've witnessed two Mourinho declines at two <laughs> separate clubs three surely they some of the, did they not witness the, the Chelsea second time United and then Spurs yeah but I just mean close up they oh, close they, up, they, yeah. they watched the, the movie from the front row twice <laughs> hmm, hold on them a bit of a recurring theme that's interesting uh, the not... sequel's even worse than the original <laughs> yeah yeah um Liam, it's a it's a good example, isn't it, Manchester United for Chelsea's incoming owners uh, of how sort of not to run a football club. I know they're extremely commercially successful, but the results on the pitch, the relationship with the supporters, the, the way they've they've managed things from kind of top to bottom, it's a kind of blueprint of of what not to do. Yeah, it is, and I think it's also a warning that these things are fragile. That you can have a winning culture. You can be associated with silverware every single season. And then if you get it wrong, it can go away very, very quickly. And now there there are entire generations of, of kids, of Premier League fans, who are not associating Manchester United with winning in the way that we did. And, you know, generations of people growing up during the Ferguson era. The one thing I would say that's different about this Chelsea situation is that everyone, you know, whoever ends up winning this bidding process will come in knowing that they do not have the advantages that Manchester United still have, even after nearly a decade of horrendous mismanagement. They have incredible financial advantages. And I think in some ways that can that can actually be a bad thing because it can lead to more wastage. You know, sometimes necessity can be the mother of invention. And if you have limitations on what you can do, on what you can spend, on the way you can operate, it forces you to think about things a bit bit more and be a bit smarter. And I've said this with about Chelsea a few times before. When you have a billionaire owner like Abramovich, who is just willing to foot the bill regardless, it's much easier to pull the trigger on 71 million for Kepa, 100 million for Lukaku. And even if it doesn't work, you know, it, it might be a disaster for your wage bill, but ultimately, you know, the cost is going to be covered. 
Whereas if there's a new owner that wants to run things like a business and there will be consequences, actual meaningful consequences for bad decisions, then there's a higher standard of accountability, isn't there? And people have to be smarter and about things. And that, that doesn't still doesn't seem to exist at United under the Glazers. I think it will exist at Chelsea under the new owners. And then, of course, you have to talk about, you know, are they going to hire the right people or keep the right people in place, empower them to make good decisions? Um, and there are also examples of how to do it in the Premier League with American owners. You look at the way Liverpool have done it with Jurgen Klopp and the structure they've built there. Um, and a lot of the people that are interested in buying Chelsea, they are associated with competent sports fran franchises and sports ownership in the US. So that the early signs are that it shouldn't be quite as as, as horrendous as we've seen with the Glazers. Uh, so it's a 7.45 kickoff on Thursday, which means that we'll do our second part of the week on Friday so we can reflect on that game. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team played the first game of their league doubleheader against Spurs on Sunday. They earned a vital win, came from behind to beat Spurs 3-1. Chelsea up against it when Sophie Ingle put through her own net 15 minutes in. Guro Wrighton drew them level, but five minutes after that, keeper Anne Katrinberger was sent off. However, Sam Kerr headed Chelsea into the lead 19 minutes from time and a thumping finish from Jesse Fleming deep into stoppage time added a gloss to the score. Uh, Liam, Emma Hayes uh, was full of praise for her team after that, given the way that they came back. Yeah, and they, they seem to score exclusively bangers. Uh, it was <laughs> incredible. I watched the highlights of this game. Guru Wrighton's goal was absolutely sensational. Touched the ball around a defender and then like it reminded me of Didier Drogba's winner against Hull a few years ago. Remember the left-footed chip from almost the same position? An impossible angle into the far corner. Um, and then a really nice header from Sam Kerr doing what she does in the box. And Jessie Fleming, who's really emerged this year, um, she's been a great story. I remember interviewing her when she first came to came to Chelsea and she was so young and, you know, she was already a seasoned Canada international, but very green in terms of, you know, this level of the club game. And it's been really nice to see her rise and the way that she's adapted to the challenges of, of one of the most competitive squads in the world. And now she's a key player. Really, really good at, um, response to adversity from Chelsea as a whole. We always knew that this team had that kind of character and resilience. That's part of what Emma Hayes has built. And um, and they've kept themselves in the driver's seat, haven't they, in the WSL title race? Uh, yeah, it means they're a point clear of Arsenal. They won 3-0 at Everton. Chelsea play Spurs again, this time at Kings Meadow on Thursday before going to Birmingham on Sunday and finishing at home to Man United on the 8th of May. Uh, in terms of the academy sides, the under-23s play tonight. That's Monday as we record. They're at Brighton in PL2. Boosted by the news, their survival fates back in their own hands that after Leeds lost to Manchester City at Elland Road on Friday. It leaves Andy Meyer's team with a simple equation. If they win all three of their remaining games, they'll survive in Division 1 of PL2. Even two wins from three might be enough to get the job done. The under-18s were beaten 3-0 away to title-chasing West Ham in the under-18 PL South on Saturday. Their season continues to peter out to a pretty unsatisfactory conclusion. All right, we're winding things up now. In terms of the takeover, not much new to report, Liam, really. There were some stories on Sunday that the Paliuka bid wasn't going to be successful, but but that's been denied by sources close to rain. And, and this government move to approve the introduction of an independent regulator for English football that's not going to have any impact in this new stringent integrity test because it's not coming in until 2024 so it, we're still in the holding pattern basically 
Yeah, we're still waiting. The bid teams are still waiting. Um, I've been told there could be some more meetings with with fan groups before a final decision is made. Um, I think there are still some questions about how how the governance will look, what the day to day structure of, of Chelsea will will be like um, for whoever wins. You know who will be the because it won't be necessarily you know Todd Bowley or Stephen Paliuka or Josh Harris or David Blitzer who are the day to day face of um, the ownership. So there are questions on that front and obviously fan representation, which has been a key aspect of all of this. Um, still lots of unanswered questions. And I don't know whether we'll get a preferred bidder this week. It could be that we get a preferred bidder. It could be that we get more dropouts. Um, and that's the way this goes. None of us have ever done this before. So we don't quite know exactly how this process will go. Um, but I think... As we've said several times before, Chelsea want a resolution. I think you could tell in the stadium on Sunday, all the fans there want a resolution. The players, Tuchel, they all want this over as soon as possible. So there's a bit of clarity. Uh, in terms of things to read on the Athletic Chelsea related, Don, we spoke about Paul Mitchell on last week's pod and you've you've profiled him. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the people that uh, we're told a couple of the consortia have looked at in terms of um, future recruitment models for, for Chelsea Football Club. I think Manchester United probably would make more sense in, in many ways um, if they can get rid of some of their two or three directors of football, technical directors or whatever they have at the moment that aren't doing a particularly great job. Um but yeah, he's a he's he's an interesting character, and he's done very very well. He's got a good reputation within the game. I was I was, I was quite uh, not not surprised. I was, but literally everybody I spoke to about him um, was positive and was positive about what he's achieved after the setbacks that he suffered as a player. Um, you know, when his career ended at the age of effectively at the age of twenty five, he played until twenty seven, but he was never quite the same again. Um, after a bad injury um, at Notts County, and yeah, he's he's obviously he's obviously made sure that he's uh, he's achieved something in the game, in the in the field of recruitment, where he was frustrated as a player. Uh, how about you, Liam? What's on the agenda for this week? Really enjoyed that piece, Tom. By the way, um, thank you. Got a piece up on site from Stamford Bridge on the Rudiger situation. Uh, and kind of throwing it forward to the summer and what that looks like for Chelsea now. I'm working on pieces about Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku uh, and also a kind of bigger read on the defence. And beyond that, of course, it's it's staying vigilant for any developments with the takeover. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber, you can do so for just a pound a month for your first six months. Remember, we'll be back on Friday with our second show of the week. We'll go a bit more in depth on the women's team then as well, because they'll have played Thursday night too, as well as the men going to Old Trafford to take on Manchester United. Do join us for that if you can. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.